The podcast that you're preparing to hear contains acts of sex, violence, rape, and other kinds of torture. Twisted Blue LLC, its affiliates, and the podcasting host do not claim to be any kind of expert in this field, nor do we condone the acts that you're about to hear. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Across from me is my co-host, Tammy Underwood. Thank you. You're I welcome. forgot your name for a minute. <laughs> you did. You Let's just start this episode off just fantastic, right? Yeah, exactly. So today we're talking about Carl Penn's Ram, and we have a little special quote from Mr. Carl. Carl says, I was so full of hate that there was no room in me for such things as love, pity, kindness, or honor and decency. My only regret is that I wasn't born dead or not at I missed that one up, didn't I? Not at all. Or not at all. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. You know, you know, we've recorded this a uh, hundred times. Let's just get on with the damn show. Yes, let's That's do it. That's the quote. I'm sorry, guys. No, that's all. It's all good. I mean, and it's like he had so many quotes that it was hard to choose one for the opening of this show because um, the tagline for him, and I saw this on several of my the sites that I researched him on because there's very little information you know, for some parts of his life that it was hard to do a lot of research on him like some of the other ones we're going to be doing. But I saw this tagline that really stuck out to me. It was, he was the saddest, the most gruesome, and the most cold-blooded serial killer in American history. Right. And from yeah. what I've researched with you, it his, his, his life was pretty sad. He's one of the few killers that i actually have a empathy lot of, for a lot yeah yeah exactly i mean because i mean and i had trouble with the most gruesome part of it but when you go back and look at it and yeah there was hh holmes who had his house of horrors right. and stuff like that and although that was gruesome he didn't have the life that carl had that led up to that he just chose to be a killer yeah, no, exactly. You know, and so I think that's why Carl was so gruesome in his acts, you know, and he was actually born as Charles Pansram and picked oh. up the nickname Carl later in life. I didn't even know that. Yeah, and I didn't second. know. I didn't either because um, it was like, how did they get Carl from Charles? But if you think about it back in the day, somebody, you know, Charles, Carl, they sound similar, actually. Maybe if you're drunk, but anyway. Anywho, <laughs> wait for um, me to take a serious uh, podcast you, you know, uh, down a rabbit but hole. But you also you almost need that humor to make sense of it all. You really do. And with Carl, I got a lot of humor that I run through in my head only because after doing the research and seeing what he's been through. Oh yeah, it's gut wrenching. It is absolutely gut wrenching. It is absolutely. And if you don't walk away from hearing this podcast and have any amount of empathy for him, then there's something wrong. Yeah, and we're going to get into a little bit of uh, of the the profile of, of how his brain works. And yeah, exactly. And things like that, just based you on know? our own research. Anyway, yeah. Go ahead, but, Okay, Tammy. so anyways, he was born as Charles Pandrum in, on June 28th of 1892 
in East Grand Forks of Polk County, Minnesota. Um, his parents were actually East Russian immigrants. So you could probably imagine that there was very little English sp- spoken in the house, which could be why people called him Carl. Very well could be, yeah. Yeah. So his father's name was Johann John Pansram, and his mother's name was Matilda Lizzie Pansram. I couldn't find any information on her maiden name. You know, and of course, I don't, I didn't go on to ancestry or anything like that because I need way more information. But what caught me is there was almost no information on his siblings. Right. I noticed that too when, when yeah. I was kind of poking around. I'm like, I, but then there was a reason for that. I mean, there was very little information, and a lot of the sources vary between five and six siblings. But the Carl Panzerum papers, which were his autobiographical manuscript that is down in the San Diego University. Correct. Um, it said in there that there were six siblings, five brothers and one sister. Making him the oldest of seven kids in total. Yes, totally. And the reason I believe that there was little information on his siblings is because it's very well noted that they turned out to be very normal, led law-abiding lives, had, you know, were very prominent in the community as you know holding down jobs and being very successful so they i can understand that they didn't want to be associated with him you know what i mean Makes sadly sense. i've got a brother like that so <laughs> I, well yeah but you know what i mean so it's like so i kind of get it but at the same time it's like i don't really understand it on every level because of the horrors that he endured himself you would think though as as siblings and everything like that you'd want to protect him right or at least be kind of supportive you know maybe show up to the prison every once in a while and go dude what you did's pretty jacked up but i'm your brother yeah. i'm your sister i'm here for you right you know because in, in all honesty and this is just the way my mind it just popped in my head right now the brother in question even though him and I don't get along, if he was to call me and say, hey, look, Scott, I'm in a bad way. Help me out. I'd, I'd still be supportive. You would be. Yeah. I'd say, yeah. okay, let's let's figure this shit out, man. Well, yeah, and that's the same with me. I don't get along with my brothers and sisters either, you know, mom, my mom's side or my dad's side. But you know what? And I can call them every name in the book. <laughs> right. But you, somebody who doesn't know them call them that? Bitch, I'll fuck you up. Oh, not me. I'd be like, yeah, that's that's that brother. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I'd be like, you know what? Out, you didn't live with him. You don't have that right. <laughs> you know? Right. But, so I started this off. I mean, I went as far back as I could with him. And so it starts off with him at age seven in 1897. And his parents, unfortunately, separated at that time. The dad abandons the family. And in that era... The oldest child, especially the oldest male child, right. takes over. They try to provide for the family. He's seven years old. Right. Seven years old in, in an adult position. Yeah. It Basically, yeah. So shortly after that, Carl, it said that the first thing that they say after the dad leaves the family is when he's seven years old, this, chi- this child, and I'm going to call him a child here, was charged in juvenile court for drunk and disorderly conduct. Jeez Louise. Seven man. years old. Could you imagine being uh, having your seven-year-old drunk now? You'd go to jail. You would because CPS had, ain't coming yeah, home, dude. They have what they call the age of accountability, and I know this from personal experience, is that if a child is under the age of 12, 
the parents are responsible for all their actions. She made Christmas. Yeah, the parents. I mean, even if the child commits, if a child went out and stabbed somebody in the street, the cops cannot arrest them until child services gets there. That actually makes sense. Yeah. Because you get, get, at the end of the day, you have to protect the kid. You do. But at the same time, it's they didn't protect him. Well, that's true, but it was a totally different age. It, this it is, is. It this is, is a totally before different child era. protective services or you know, but or I anything keep, like that. I, I, I have I had to keep wrapping my brain around the fact that this was the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. Right. No, it was exactly. a totally I know. It was a totally different era and belief system and they just they just didn't do they didn't have all the laws and all the guidelines and boundaries in place that we do now. Right. And, and honestly nobody really gave two shits. They didn't. Let's just be really frank about that. Yeah. You know, uh <laughs> your kid could die and nobody really Yeah, you no. Know, communities didn't come together and say, Hey, your kid yeah. just died. You might get a you might get a casserole from the lady down the road because they were in Minnesota, so you know they're big on casseroles. <laughs> that is true. Man. I know that for a fact. I mean, not to interject humor here, but I mean not to make well, not to make light of the situation, but that's exactly what it was. You know, I think of Little House on the Prairie and shit, and their neighbors were few and far between. Right. You know. Well, plus, you know, back then kids died quite often, and it's like very, nothing special. Very often, kid died. Now, disease or whatever. Now, if a child dies, man, all of us would come together. Like, could you imagine if like one of your friends or one of my friends? Their kid passed away. Oh, man! Everybody totally. and their mother, mother would come out and go, "Dude, yeah. we're we're here for you." But this in that time there was way, way, way different, different. way different. Not yes. that I'm that old. I wasn't born back then. <laughs> yes, he was. Don't let him lie. But um, the next account we have for Carl was in 1903. At age 11, he was arrested for breaking into a neighbor's home. Now. What he stole was, and this is what's going to floor you on this. He stole cake, apples, understandable, yeah, and a revolver. Now, I believe, just going through my head and what I'm picturing here, this kid was hungry. Obviously, that's the yeah. He went in. He's stealing cake. He's stealing apples. I believe he's 11 years old. He's a boy. He sees a gun laying there. Like, hmm. Maybe I'll take that. Play with it. You know, whatever. Or might need it because it. Or yeah, or might need it because you know. From what I'm, from what I was reading, it's, he, nobody was like accidentally shot with this gun. No, nobody. So if you're a kid and you've got like a loaded gun, generally people get shot because. Yeah. But you know, so anyway, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, there was no account of him shooting anybody with this gun. So I'm just wondering if he saw the gun there. He's like, you know what? Why don't I just take this too? You know, so. On October 11th of 1903, this kid who, you know, because obviously he was, you know, actually further into the research, I delved into this particular thing is when his brothers found out, his younger brothers found out that he did this, they took him home and whooped his ass. You know? Right. They they beat him. And then, yeah, well, basically they ganged up on him. And then not only that is the authorities stepped in. And so he was arrested, and on October 11th, he was sentenced to around two years and was sent to the Minnesota State Training School. Okay, now, he stayed in this school 
from October of 1903 to January of 1906. So what, roughly two years and three months, something like that? That sounds about right. Yeah. I'm, I, math is really hard for me at this moment because, you know, it's kind of late. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been going at a bunch of stuff all day. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, we've been busy all day. Surprisingly, we don't just get on here and do... We podcast. don't. This is not this is not our day job. Yeah, this we got plenty of us. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Anyways, so while he was there in that two years and three months, he was repeatedly, and I stress repeatedly, like I would say the way they stress repeatedly, I would think it was on a daily basis. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. He was beaten, tortured, and raped by the staff members. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me because People are cruel. We're in 2021, and people are cruel. Especially people who have authority that cannot handle that authority. Right. Now, you take this back to the early 1900s when nothing was regulated. There's not like there's state inspectors coming in there going, okay, let's check out the kids. You know, we're going to shut you down because you're beating the shit out of kids. Yeah, there was no accountability. Yeah, Yeah, there, there was none of that. You could do literally whatever you want as long as you're in the proper position. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then... Here's another one of his quotes that I found was very poignant to this situation. I had been, he he goes on to say, I had been taught by Christians how to be a hypocrite. And I learned more about stealing, lying, hating, burning, and killing. Oh, yes. I had learned a lot from my expert, quote unquote, expert instructors that were furnished to me free of charge by society in general and the state of Minnesota in particular. From the treatment I received there and the lessons I learned from it, I had fully decided when I left there just how I would live my life. So he's like right around, what, 13, 14 years old at this point. And he's already decided pretty much, you know, kind of the do unto others thing. Pretty much. Yeah, he's like, screw you guys. And if you think about it, I think you brought this up to me. It's more of a survival skill. You know, it's it's kind of that whole kill or be killed type of a thing. Oh, yeah. You put it better than I did when you and I were talking about it, though. Yeah, it's it's the it's the roles we play. Correct. You know, he was taught early on what role he had to play there that I believe when he was released, he knew what role he didn't want to play anymore. Right, you didn't want to be a victim anymore. Exactly. I two, mean, because two straight years of being freaking victimized, pretty soon. Yeah, you're like, probably I'm not on a, a daily, if not hourly basis. Right. Yeah, because I mean, you and I both watched the documentary and the movie in regards to him, and um, they had what they called the painting mm-hmm. room. I remember that. And basically, this room was just a place where they took the children and they beat them. And they tortured them. And when they came out, they were all bloody and bruised. Hence the painting. Right. Painted with bruises. Yes. And so seeing this and having it happen to him, he fantasized about burning this building, this particular building down where this room was. And he did. He went and burnt it down before he left. And honestly, justifiably so. Yeah. Everybody has their breaking point. Everybody does. And Everybody does. What I'm really appalled by that we'll get into later is that this was just a start. It was. It was. This was just no, a start it, of, the, yeah, of the stuff he had to he go through. He is like barely 14. He's like 13 and a half in January of 1906. Okay. 13 and a half. So this is just the beginning of what he has has gone through. 
Right. I mean, right, right. we haven't even touched on over half the crap yet. Yeah, it's going to get progressively worse. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, I I brought up also about the whole nature versus nurture aspect of this because this was nature taking over. It was, you know, other people's actions and stuff, and it, there was no form of nurturing. Nobody to pull him aside or take them under his wing and say, look, this behavior is not okay. Let me help you. Right, because one thing I noticed is like nowhere in anything that I read or that we watched did it say his mom came and said, hey, Carl or Charles, whatever she called him, come here. Hey, look, I'm your mom. I love you. Let's, you know, let's, yeah, let's, let's not do bad things. Let's figure out a different way. Right. It, yeah. it, it almost sounds and it feels... Like, she didn't give two fucks. Right. She was part of the regular society. Like, hey, you're just garbage. We don't yeah. care. Well, and he was the oldest of seven. Right. So she had six more. Yeah, yeah. I got six other kids to worry about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't I can't focus on the bad you're doing. And, you know, all the, you know, because I got to worry about them. Because who's to say how many of them were still in diapers? Right, exactly. So she's trying to feed and water all of them. Exactly. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, Carl is out being a bad kid. Yeah, and she just doesn't have time for it. Yeah, no, kind of makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah, so in 1906, Carl's paroled from the training school. He's released to his mother's care. Now, at this, in this particular point, he, he has another quote reflecting back on it that said, you know, because he, he's released from, you know, because the parole board or whatever said he was okay to go. So he says, after serving about two years, there I was pronounced by the parole board to be a nice, clean boy of good morals. As pure as a lily and a credit to those in authority on, on the institution where I had been sent to be reformed. Yes, sure, I was reformed, all right. Damn good and reformed, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, because he was, he was changed. Very much so. I mean, that's what reformation means, correct? That is very correct. Right. And since he had already been taught, I mean, he learned how to lie and everything else from these people in authority, because obviously they're telling people how great a school this is, yet look at what they're doing. You know, so he he did. He was he, reformed. He was trained and reformed in brutality. Yeah. And so he wasn't lying there. He was damn good and reformed, you know, and. I mean, this is kind of where I talked about before with you about the, you know, it teaches us to play a part. Oh, totally um, it does. Every aspect of our lives, we're taught to play a part. You know, we're taught to be a good student in school. We're taught to, you know, be a productive member of society. And we play those roles. But if we're not taught that, we learn to play other roles. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Very much so. And that that's not to say that it's... I think here's where a lot of people get confused is people want to generalize everybody and think that the same rules apply to everybody. I have friends that are great parents and their kids turn out good, but they got that one oddball that, yeah, you know, everybody has a black sheep in their family, but right. it could be an extreme. Right. You know, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's like, he's like, I've got four or five sets of friends that have that oddball kid and I'm not going to, Call them out because no, I know who they no, are, no. and I do love my friends. But um, that you know, that kid that no matter, and I've heard it a hundred times. No matter what we do, you know, 
this child won't listen. I mean, he's out and he's doing oh, this yeah. and he's doing this and this. And you're looking around going, the other kids are really well behaved. Like, they can look over and go, and I use the name Billy all the time. because You do use, you use Billy a lot. That's right. He's my cousin, man. So, Billy, you are, you're kind of like my, my sacrificial lamb. But, you know, the, we can we can ask, like, Billy over here to do anything. You know, hey, go clean your room. Okay. And, yeah, sometimes he gives us trouble, but he does it. But his, you know, brother over here, Mark, it doesn't matter what we do. Yeah, or how we punish him yeah, or, or anything. Take away anything. He doesn't care. Doesn't care. But that's kind of a rare case. Yeah. Kids really respond the majority of the time to kind of, and I had to learn this with my own kids, is um, kids really need discipline. Yeah, and boundaries. And boundaries. And yes. once they know their boundaries, exactly, things flow a lot easier. Yeah. It's when they're not consistent. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And also, you know, in regards to that, you and I have talked about also that children will rise to the level of expectation you give them. Oh, 100%. If you expect mediocre, they'll give you mediocre. If you expect less than that, they'll give you less than that. Right. You know, so it makes you wonder what was the level of expectations that this kid had? Probably nothing. Honestly, yeah, nothing or to die. Yeah, that's about it. I mean, because I know me as a, as a parent, and granted, yeah, we're we're you know more than a hundred years past when when uh, you know Carl was a uh, was a child. But if somebody laid hands on any of my kids, oh, even dude. though they're adults, like my my youngest is eighteen. Yeah, you know, you better slap the cuffs on me now because <laughs> I'm gonna kill them anyways. Yeah, you you ain't gotta worry about the cops coming to knock at your door, there, buddy. No. Because, They'll be knocking on mine. Yeah, they're going <laughs> to knock on mine. And yeah. you're just going to be, and it's not to be threatening or anything like that. But no. That, that dude it's, will be a missing. It's the protection. It's like the. It'll be a missing person. Yeah, it'll be the mama bear or the mom oh, yeah. lifting the car off the child or whatever. I mean, because I told you I had a run in with a relative of mine who said some very horrible things to me in front of my child. And, you know, my son was, he just turned 20, no, 18 at the time. And 18, 19, and my son was right there to protect me. And the whole time I kept, the whole, rest of the trip, I kept saying, say something to my child, because then it's on. Oh, yeah. No, that's yeah, that's me 100%. Yeah, man. say something bad to my child, because then the gloves are coming off, and it's no holds barred. Right, you know, and I'm the same with, like, with Jake, because Jake's a, a bigger guy. Oh, yeah. You know. So and, is my son, you know. And, and with, 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 with my son, I shoot him straight all the time. Because oh, yeah. I'm not a small guy. You're not. No. You know, uh, and, but that's how we communicate. But if somebody else came up to him and, you know. Said and, some of the stuff that you say, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or even. Yeah, I would. Even be, half of what you say. Right. I'd be like, dude, no. Yeah. You're done. It's not happening. Right. Yeah, anyway, no. let's go on with Carl before this ends up yeah. being a five-hour be, podcast. Be, before this be, ends up being a podcast of our lives. So anyways, two weeks after he was released back to his mother, he ran away from home. And became what he calls a hobo on the trails. On the rails, excuse me. I I misread my notes. And anyways, he claims that soon after that, he was gang raped. I mean, gang raped by a group of hobos. And, you know, even though there was no documentation on how old these men were that raped him, I can only imagine because at the time they were generally older men that rode the rails that it was probably a group of adult males that did this. So 
my question is, well, not really my question, but my interjection here is he's adapting. He has to adapt again to a world as we see it to service. Yeah, as we see it and refusing to be a victim anymore. Right. And, every, and it sounds to me like every t- in, this, in this short amount of time, he, every time he turns around, one of two things is happening. Only 14. At 14, every time he turns around, he's being victimized in one way or another. Mm-hmm. He's being beaten. He's being raped. He's being tortured. He's being tortured. He's being neglected. Oh, 100%. He's being starved. Right. At yeah. every turn. And he's still not even he's still not even an adult. Yeah. He's not even a young adult yeah. he gets at this off, point. He goes off on his own to try, to try to pretty much be a better, you know, make a better life for himself. And the actions keep happening. You know, and I believe, I honestly believe that was the catalyst. That's, I'm right there with because you. Because the next part from 1907 to 1910, I mean, and this is just his early criminal career. Because, I mean, we have to make it very clear. In his papers and every documentation, he self-proclaims himself as a career criminal. Yeah, he, he doesn't uh, make excuses for what he's no. done, really. No, not, he's not at all. not saying... And here's the thing. While while we're understanding what the catalyst was, he he makes no excuses. Like we, we make more excuses for him than what he ever I, did. Uh, you know what? I have made... Just in this little brief time up oh, until yeah. he was 14, I have made more excuses than he has ever tried to make. In his entire life. In his life. entire life. Yeah, he's like, this is just me. I made my decision. And, and this I is how I lived my life. Yeah. And yeah. So anyways, his early criminal career went from 1907 to 1910. So three years up until he was 18. Um, so in 1907, he lied and about his age and enlisted in the U.S. Army. Within months, he committed larceny and was convicted of larceny. And as a result of that, from April of 1908 to August of 1910, he was incarcerated at Leavenworth's U.S. Disciplinary bar- Barracks. There's a shocker right there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can get, but I'm wondering what he stole because larceny is such a broad right. area. Right. Was Was it a pen? Was it a pancake? Yeah. I couldn't find well, anything either. I, I, yeah, because I crap. looked for it and there was nothing on it because, like I said, larceny is such a broad term that it could have been anything. You know, anything. So in 1910, he was released from the barracks and obviously released from the army with a dishonorable discharge. And after that, he resumed, he was 18, he resumed his criminal career using approximately 12 aliases. Too many Christmas. I don't even have that many. <laughs> Whoa, wait a minute. What? No. Well, because I have a lot of nicknames. So Uh-huh. The more the truth comes out. I think I'm gonna be I think uh, uh within the like, next two years I'll be doing this show with the new co host. You know, today we're researching and talking about Tammy, Tammy Underwood. Underwood. <laughs> no, no. I, I promise you that. So his adult criminal career began in nineteen ten to nineteen twenty. And during those 10 years, he traveled the United States from the East Coast to the West Coast and back again. And he committed arsons, burglaries, and robberies. Um, this, is, this next part is what gets me, and I will read the list. He was caught multiple times 
and incarcerated and sentenced to lengthy prison sentences in several states that include California, Texas, Idaho, Montana, Oregon, Connecticut, New York, and D.C. Oregon's your state. Oregon is my, my neighboring state because uh, yeah. the only thing that separates for those of you who haven't been out here to the Pacific Northwest, the only thing that separates Oregon from Washington is the Columbia River, and I live. I Vancouver, I Washington throw is part a rock from here to the river. That's how close you live. Right, from the right. I, I live damn near on the river, and uh, yeah. you know, actually, uh, Vancouver, Washington is considered part of the Portland metropolitan area. Oh yeah, we have actually adopted the Cove into the Portland metro. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and when I've gotten in trouble before, and I was on probation, next on this podcast. They're going to be researching Scott Alexander. That's right. Um, uh, I could travel anywhere in the Portland metropolitan area. And I was, right. and my charges were here in Vancouver. Right. You know, and then, of course, I had an amendment because I traveled. But, right. Yeah, but it was all part of the Portland metro area. Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, because a lot of people always say, I mean, because radio shows and everything around here, they're like talking about, you know, the good versus the bad. Oregon's always good. Washington's always bad. It's that rivalry that goes on. But then when they have a caller and the caller says, "Oh, I'm from Vancouver," and they oh go, they go, "Oh, you're from the Cove. You're adopted. You're right." Good. And I will I will say this. I got to admit uh, this. Washington drivers are crappy. That's, that's uh, not as bad as California drivers, though. Well, I'll give you that. Okay, let's yeah. go on with Carl. Anyways, so anyways, he was. But even though he was sentenced to these lengthy prison sentences. He managed to escape from them every time. Escape the facilities every time. And the thing about this is, is he literally at one at one time of these incarcerations, it was actually in Oregon, his first prison, because he was sentenced in Oregon twice. Oh, okay. The first time he was in Oregon Penitentiary, he escaped that jail, went back, and helped another inmate escape. Holy cow. You know what? Carl's a better friend than my friends, and I got some tight friends, man. I like you, but I wouldn't help you escape. (laughs) I'm telling you, man, like my buddy Brandon, you know, him and I are tight, but he wouldn't be like, hey, dude, I broke out of jail, and I'm going to break back in to get your butt out. Yeah, I'm going to break down just to get your ass out, because we were on separate, you know, areas of the penitentiary, so you couldn't go with me. (laughs) So (laughs) I I will come over to your side and get you the fuck out, and, and we'll leave again. Right. He'd be looking over his yeah. shoulder. Run, fat ass. Yeah, I'd be like, exactly. I'm trying. Exactly. Now, this next part is what gets me. In 1920, he goes in New Haven, Connecticut. He's back in Connecticut, East Coast. He goes and burglarizes the home of William Howard Taft. Wait a minute. I'm glad that you picked that up because it just keep going because I think Taft was involved he was when the irony of this is that well when he was there he stole large amounts of jewelry bonds and a 45 caliber handgun which will come into play later i got bling yeah i was framed (laughs) but anyways the irony of this whole situation is that in 1908 when he was sentenced to the barracks when he was incarcerated at the barracks um, at Leavenworth, it was on the order of How- Howard Ta- uh, on the order of Taft because he was a Secretary of War at the time, and the jurist 
and under and the just and I believe that that was his justification for that burglary in 1920. It kind of makes sense. Yeah. Dude, you put me in jail for probably a petty theft <laughs> and I'm you know what? As a result, I'm stealing from you, bitch. I still want to look deeper in and find out what he stole because if it was something like a cupcake, like seriously, I'd be like, yeah, I, totally. But I'm telling you, know? you, no matter what site I went to, and that's why I kind of want to read his papers. I want to go down to San Diego and actually read his papers. That's what you and I are talking about in the yeah. next uh, year. We'll have to do a secondary podcast on Carl. Yeah. Right from where Another his episode. Are. Yeah. Or and I'm, just read from his papers. Right. Or I can try to contact him and see if I can get copies of them. Oh, that might be an idea. Yeah, it might. Yeah, because I believe it'll go more in depth as to some of these actions that we have that are just like make no sense to us. Right. Yeah, because if it was such a minute theft, I can understand why he went and broke into the guy's house. Like, I'm stealing from you now. You think I stole before? I'm stealing. <laughs> I'm stealing now. Right. You know, I can't imagine what the hell he would. St- Wait a minute. We'll get into that later. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to figure that out later when we have more information. So the 1920 um, burglary of um, Taft's home, I believe, was the catalyst that not the catalyst so much, but opened the door. Did I do something wrong? It was me. Oh, you um, jumped so high. I thought <laughs> I thought I did something wrong. No, I'm, I'm over here and I'm paying attention, but. Um, You're kind of playing around at the same time. Tammy gave me two uh, wonderful gifts from a, from a friend of hers. And uh, yeah. And I just figured out how to open up one of them. And <laughs> it scared me. <laughs> it uh, scared, scared me. you, too. I, I should have worn my brown pants. <laughs> Not the jeans. Anyways, so it, when 1920, after he stole this handgun, this 45 caliber handgun, which for those who don't know, a 44 is big. Is a 45 just as big or bigger? Smaller. Oh, a 45 smaller? Yeah, 44 is, believe it or not, it's a bigger cartridge. Oh, okay. See, I, I knew what a 44 was because, you know, the whole. Son of Sam thing, but um, so um, he went on. He started his murder spree in 1920. From August to October, August, September, October, three months, he took the stolen goods that he stole from Taft um, and fenced them in Manhattan. Nice. And from there, he bought a yacht. The love boat. <laughs> yeah. And he began cruising the East River. You know, of all things to purchase, I laugh at the fact that he purchased a yacht. Now, is the yacht back then the equivalent of a Mercedes now? I think so. Because they had rivers and shit, but they didn't have cars, really. Right. You know? So, yeah, I was like, a yacht? He's like cruising around in style. Dude, Me, he was. I got to tell you, if I would have ripped off someone like Taff, um, and that wasn't my charges, by the way. I'm not a thief. Um, you know, uh, I think, you know, I retired to the middle of nowhere and bought a cabin and they never heard from my big ass again. Yeah, but nope. here's, here's Carl going, you know what? We're cruising in style. I'm buying a yacht. I'm buying a friggin' yacht. Yeah. Well, anyways, while he was cruising the East River, he lured some sailors from a New York City, bar, some New York City bars. He got them drunk and then. He proceeded to rape them, shoot them, and dump their bodies near Execution Rocks Light, Execution Rocks Light, Long Island Sound. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. He claims, he claims, and it has never been proven that there were 10 victims in all that day. Now, 
this is this caught me and I I'm like wondering if there's an irony or significance to the dump site. No kidding, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cuz um I'm also you know that his crimes after this burglary escalated from basic burglary, robbery and arson to sodomy and murder. Right, that's a pretty big jump, man. It is a pretty big jump. You know, because it's like there was no rape except for that woman at Oregon in Oregon. Right. We'll get to that one. In we'll a, get to that in one a in a minute. But other than that, it was like it was petty shit. Really? Right. I mean, burglary might be considered bigger, but that's more. Well, I thought the rape of the woman was after. No, this was in Oregon before all of this. Oh, yeah. My bad. Yeah. Because um, mental note, put notes up on your computer screen. Yeah, pretty Scott. much you need to pay attention. <laughs> I am paying you attention. You need to stop playing with your toys and pay attention. I, I just no. I didn't pull the notes up on no on my screen. No, I understand. No, I get what you're saying, but no. So so yeah, he raped. You know, and we'll talk about it later. But he raped a woman in Oregon. Um, but he goes from you know, and burglarizing is considered. A major crime, but we have to take into consideration that burglarizing does not mean you're hurting somebody. You're just breaking into a locked establishment. Right. It's kind of a victimless crime. Yeah. You know, I mean, robbery. No, that one is where you actually kind of, you know, threaten somebody in the process. There's a threat to get what you want. Exactly. So, yeah, he was committing these crimes, but none of them. Equated to this guy's going to kill somebody eventually. Right. It, they, it, there wasn't a violent aspect aspect to of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they're not saying that he harmed anybody or assaulted anybody at that time. It was burglary, robbery, arson, and yeah, that's pretty much it. But you got to figure all of his life still, he's being victimized and sexually yeah. abused. But he chose not to do that at all. Until 1920. What's what we were talking about? They're, they're, everybody's got their breaking point. They do. And uh, we've talked about this previously that I've been through uh, anger management classes right. and things like that. So I'm, I'm not saying I'm perfect by any means. I take timeouts when I'm, you know, pissed off. But even I've got my breaking points. There, there, there comes oh, a yeah, point so where I. you take all that that you learned and go. It goes it. right out the window. Right out the window. And you're like, that's it. I've had it. Yeah. And done. And I think that's about the point he was, to me, and this is just an opinion, I think he was holding back. All that anger and rage? So much. And just constantly playing on his mind that, God dang, when I was in this reform school, the people there raped me. Then I tried to escape. I get raped again. You know, I've been raped and I've been beaten at every turn. Yeah. So I'm going to hurt you before you hurt me. Right. Now it's my turn. Because now... I want the world to feel what I felt. Well, and maybe the only way he could get rid of that feeling is to act out the violence himself. Because sometimes, yeah, it's like in order for me not to feel, I have to act on this because it's tearing me up. Right, it's killing me. It's eating at me. Yeah. So, anyways, um, in October of 1920, he was actually arrested. You know, because it's very significant that it's right after he stole that 45 that he went and started killing. So he was arrested in Connecticut for burglary and the gun possession. He actually had that gun on him. So in 1921, he was served a six months in the jail, in jail in Bridgeport, Connecticut. 
Now, this is what gets me. After all of his escapes, after all of his, you know, abscondings, whatever you want to call them, he does not even attempt to escape from this jail. Must have been a nice jail. <laughs> Must have been. Hey, three hots and a cot, no violence. Not bad. Yeah. Not, not a if bad that's deal. that's the case, I'd have stayed there too. Yeah. I mean, You know, and, you have a reprieve. Yeah, thinking about it, you know, if, they, if, I, if every other jail that I've been in, by and large, I've been beaten up and sodomized and treated like yeah. crap. Now I'm in a jail where they're like, hey, dude, you just do your six months and shut up. Yeah, and, just eat your food, stay in line. Yeah, just do your yeah. thing. You know, we don't we don't care. Just don't be a dick. Yeah. I'd be like, huh, this is like a little vacation time. Yeah, pretty much. And so when he was released from there, he decides he's going to leave the U.S. He goes, I'm done with this country. So he he catches a ship going overseas, and he ends up in Luanda, Portuguese, Angola, which is right off the west coast of Africa. Mm, yeah, right, right. Yeah. So there he became. He tried to get a job. He became a foreman on an oil rig, and then shortly after that, he burns the oil rig down just because he could. Teach them not to give a pay raise. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, my God. I'm such a dick. You Here I am. are, dude. I'm making jokes when we're talking about a serial but, you killer. You know, you kind of have to make light of some of it to understand, you know, to, like, ingest all of it. Right. I've got several ones, and you know uh, one specific one yes. that, as I was researching it, and we'll get to that dude, episode way later. And you're still later, researching it because, I had yeah. to. I had to wrap it up. Yeah. I, oh, I, you did wrap it up finally. I cannot research that one. No, anymore. it was troubling. Very troubling. Yeah, and, and a lot of these that we are going to present to you are very troubling. Yeah. That is why we give the one. yeah, the listener discretion advice because this is not for children yeah, at all. No doubt. You know. Gather around kids. Yeah. No. So um while he was there, he claimed he claims he raped an eleven or twelve eleven or twelve year old boy. He doesn't know how old he was and Nobody knows his name. There was the, nobody could find any records in regards to this. So, but also in Africa at the time, nobody paid attention to the street kids. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that's still to this day in some areas. Right. Nobody pays attention to the street kids. You know, they just they see them all the time and then all of a sudden they are gone, which Another one of our ones that I want to profile actually takes that into account and it Ooh. kind of like focuses on that aspect of everything. I'm yeah. excited about that one. Yeah, me, I, I kind of am too when we get to him. But um, he claims that he, uh, before killing him, he he rapes him and then before killing him, oh, he rapes him before killing him by smashing him in the head with a rock. Jesus Which means Christ. that was a lot of rage. Well, yeah, because that's not just a one and done. No. You got to You really also have to it. take into account the age of the child. It was right around the time where he was being victimized and brutalized. Right. So it's was that he, same age range. Was he, in essence, giving a pseudo to his former self and killing his former self? Holy shit. You know, with as much as we've talked about this... You've never brought that up before. I know. I and I'm I, just kind of. I was thinking about this, you know, the last couple of days because I go to back to this a think lot. About that, holy shit! Yeah, that was kind of deep, but no, because the problem with me is, is I perseverate on things, and so if I can't work something out in my mind right away, I will think about it until I think, well, maybe this is the reason, or maybe that was, you know. And I really wish he was still alive so we could ask him. I know, no doubt, huh? Yeah, if he were still alive. 
I would have so many questions. Oh, hell yeah. And they're serious questions because I really want to know. However, if we were to interview him seriously, I would require that he was chained. I, I don't <laughs> want to be a dick, but he's it's, such a wild card. Like, yeah, seriously, I would, I'd want him in full restraints. You would? Yeah, because we've talked about yeah. uh, interviewing... Yeah, Some and we hope to. Alive. Yeah, we hope to actually implement those in the future. That um, the whole thing is we have to try to figure out the process and everything because we'll be considered media and everything. But I know there is a process, and I know it's possible. Right, it's and just we have to figure out. The there's always a way to avenues. do everything. I found that out in business. There's always yeah. a way to do. Well, everything. and you know me. You know, <laughs> my last name says perfection, and you know, my, well, my mom's maiden name, but. Yeah. Her last name says she bites people. <laughs> My last name does not say that. Okay, look. Let's get on with this one. <laughs> yes. Um, Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so from there, he moved on to Lobito Bay. Um, he hired When he was there, he hired six men to aid in what he called a cro- crocodile hunting expedition. And while he was on this expedition, he ended up shooting all six of the men and threw their bodies overboard. Doesn't say anything about sodomizing him or anything here, but I can only assume he did. Like what for gator bait or something? You know, it doesn't say anything about him catching gators. See, this is why we I like that we research different parts of the uh, of his of serial killers because you say stuff like this that you found, and I'm like, holy shit, okay, well that's fucking awesome. Yeah, no, and and it's like it doesn't say like I said, it didn't say anything about him sodomizing him or anything, but you can only assume he did. You know. It's a pretty safe bet at this point. Yeah, because even because of his own words. Right. In his papers and stuff. So, you know, and he throws them overboard. The thing is, is after he did this, he realized, oh, shit, people saw me hire them and leave with them. So if I don't come back with them, they'll know something's wrong. Yeah. It's like, hey, yeah. where'd your shipmates go, buddy? Yeah. So he moved to the Gold Coast. Um. There he began robbing farmers and was able to save up enough money from the robberies to go to the Canary Islands. But when he got there, he realized that that was pretty much an area where nothing was worth stealing. So he knew he couldn't he couldn't make a living. Right, right, right. You know, so, I mean, it sounds kind of mean. It's like, oh, there's nothing worth stealing here, so I might as well leave. But no, you got to think of it. He couldn't make a living anymore. Because that's all he knew how to do. Right. Well, like he said, and we've re- we've said it a few times, is he he's a self proclaimed criminal. Career criminal. Cur- yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. So there's and no work so, for him there. So um, from there, he stowed away on a ship and ended up in Lisbon, Portugal. Okay. However, shortly after arriving there, he was forced to flee again after he learned that the local police there knew about the crimes he committed in Africa. Right. So it got back that, hey, this man left with these six men, didn't come back with these six men. Where are these six men? And he must have killed them or did something to them. Right. Something happened to these dudes. And the only common thread is is this dude. Is it Carl? Yeah, exactly. It's I mean, it's almost a given. I can see it now in the CSIs. You know, (laughs) it's like hmm, two and two equal you. (laughs) I'm going to use that line. Are you going to? Yeah. Yeah, get, there you go. I, I'm going to use it at every turn. You're welcome. <laughs> Just like that other line. Um, so in September of 1922, he ends up back in America, which kind of confused me at first. But then, like you and I were talking about before, it's what he knew. Right, because I was confused about that, too. You're Number one, 
You're already traveling. You're out of America. You yeah. can go a million places yeah. where nobody knows you at all. Where do you go? Let's go back to the States where I've committed crimes kind of a lot. Yeah. And kind of everywhere. Kind of everywhere. Yeah. So let's, let's go back where there's a good chance. Yeah, he went back go, to Cheers where everybody knew his name. No shit, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, so during this, after 1922, when he came back here, he continued his crimes of robbery, rape, and arson. And he also, at this time, raped and killed two young boys. So, in 1923, he was caught in Larchmont, New York, while trying to rob a train depot. And this is the part of his life. From here on, I was so confused. Then you and I had a discussion about it, (laughs) and it made more sense. Right. right. Yeah. So, it's like, so, he gets arrested in New York for trying to rob a train depot. He's sentenced to five years in prison. He served the majority of his time at Clinton Correctional Facility, which at that time was known to be one of the most brutal prisons in America. And from the research I've done, it might not be the most brutal prison at this time, but it ranks up there. Gee, Merry Christmas. Yeah, it still ranks up there. Now here, the guards inflicted horrible abuse and torture on the inmates, like what happened to him in the reform school. So within months, he attempted to firebomb the workshops and kill a guard by clubbing clubbing him from behind. But he was stopped. He didn't, I mean, I think he hit him like once or twice and then somebody stepped in. Oh, that's enough guard beating. We got to back you out of that. That's enough there. Um, So anyways, he went on. To understandably, he tried to escape from this penitentiary, but what should be noted here is, unlike the other penitentiaries, this one had a thirty-foot concrete wall. Right, right, right. And it also had a. Th- it was also thirty feet concrete underground, so it was as tall and you know, and then underground, it was equal to that because they didn't want them tunneling under. Right, which makes sense. Yeah, you're not going to tunnel 30 feet down in the <laughs> ground. You will die. Yeah, not even if you're the mole man. Yeah, no, not even if you're El Chapo or whatever his name was. Oh, yeah. He's <laughs> the guy who tunneled from Mexico to U.S. or right. whatever. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So anyways, so um, after this, so he tries to get over this wall, gets up there quite a ways, and then falls onto a concrete step. Yeah, that's not a soft landing. N- not at all. Not at all. He should have died. Tuck and roll, died. Carl. Tuck and roll. He should have died. Technically, Wait, no, totally. he should have died. Yeah. But no, he just breaks his ankles, his legs, and badly injures his back. Now, I would think injures his spine. I would think he'd have broke his back. That's what I was thinking. That impact I think alone. He, I think he may have landed more on his knees and stuff. Jesus Christ, that makes me hurt thinking about I it. I know, because it says he broke his legs and ankles, so I'm wondering if he, the way he landed, they buckled, and so it just injured his spine as opposed to like straight up breaking his back. It could be. It could just be a fluke that he got lucky. It could have been, and he's probably thinking, damn, I wish it would have killed me, because after this, he received no medical treatment for 14 months, not one lick. Of med- they didn't even give this guy a Band-Aid or an ice pack. Right. That's the part of the story that I was seriously appalled at. I was too. Absolutely appalled because, okay, look. Even, Basic human decency. Yeah. Even during the time, 
you're a total piece of crap guard. You beat the crap out of the inmates because you have to prove that you're a man. That's fine. Okay, do your thing. Everybody else is doing it. Do it. That's fine. This dude fell 30 freaking feet. He's destroyed. Yeah. And you're going to let him sit there for months and months. And uh, Tammy's going to tell you how long. Uh, but I think it was like 14. But 14 months. 14 yeah, months, I just yeah. Said that, yeah. Oh, you did. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Brain's not functioning. No, it's all good. But no, w- yeah. without nothing, like pretty well. That's suck it year. up, princess. Yeah. Over a year, he had no treatment. And right. so, you know, I mean, because I know from the fact, because I've had broken bones, you've had broken bones. Oh, yeah. They set already. Oh, yeah. They oh, 100%. Set. They set in whatever way they broke. Right. And and today's, uh, if if your bone doesn't set right, they can go in and they'll re-break it. There's people that are professional oh, yeah. bone breakers and reset it. But back then, uh, but after that didn't a exist year, then. it's calcified and all. Right. That. So could you imagine what it would be to re-break those bones? I'm like cringing. Dude, I'm cringing too. And it. I mean, I have a plate Crying. in my ankle and it's it's hurting right now. Gee, yeah. So get this though, that after the 14 months, they said, you know what? Let's go ahead and operate on him. Let's fix him up. You know. So they took him into the prison inf- infirmary. Mm-hmm. They did this. They operated on his legs, his ankle, and his back. But then they removed one of his testicles. And I remember when you and I discovered that together. We looked at it. Each we other looked at each other and like. The fuck did they just say? Yes, we I, had to rewind it, didn't we? Yeah, we we rewound it and we did some reading on it too. Where that can't be right. I mean, because what does his testicle have to do with his legs yeah. and his Why back? Why do you have to remove his testicle? And the only reason it's serious is just pure malice. I think so too. Yeah, it's just, it was just pure utter evilness. Yeah, because you know when you when you're an asshole. Why not just go for the gusto? Let's just take his nut. Why not demoralize him more and emasculate him? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, you can emasculate men with words, but you can also do it by removing their testicles because that's their manhood. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, totally. Yeah. You know, I'm surprised they didn't totally castrate him, you know, the way yeah. they were. Yeah, no doubt. Come to think of it, he's pretty lucky yeah. there. So after this happened and he healed from all of this, he raped a fellow inmate and was placed in solitary confinement. Now, I would like to think... That he did it to prove that he still could get it up. That's actually what I was thinking of, you know, yeah. reestablishing his dominance. And yeah, saying, his I'm manhood. Still a man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, as he's in solitary confinement, and I've told you this before on on more than one occasion, that when you are left alone in a lit, even if you're in a big room by yourself and you're cut off from everybody. You have nothing but your thoughts. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, understandably, the rage and hatred intensified in him. Intensified. Well, yeah, he's sitting there thinking about, hey, they took my nut. They took my dignity. Yeah, and they let me sit there for 14 months. Without any help. In pain. Yeah, he could barely walk. He couldn't even... Remember, he was, like, crawling around on his arms to get around because he couldn't even freaking stand up. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it just it just floors me. So yeah, and he envisioned ways to commit mass murder, and it even talked about how one of his visions was to get a ship and fill it with explosives and have it, you know, like an arm, like a military vessel, right? And commandeer it somehow and fill it with explosives and have it blow up and then have it be blamed on another country to incite another world war. Well, you really can't blame him. 
I mean, no. seriously, with all that he's been through thus far, yeah. now he's missing a nut on yeah. top of everything else, you know, yeah. and at once again, at every turn, he's being victimized. He is. You know, He cannot catch a break. Are we going to touch on the, when the prison in Oregon, the, the good prison well, guard? I, we can touch on it a little, because we can touch on it a little later when we talk about some of you know okay yeah good because I, I, I think it's important to bring it up there oh okay yeah no totally. yeah no I wasn't sure once again i didn't bring the notes up on my he, screen he he didn't bring his notes up like i've told him to about a hundred times okay. that's all right so in 1928 he was actually released from this prison and he of course because he knows nothing else has been taught nothing else they did not rehabilitate him on any level he commits more burglaries and then he went on to strangle and kill a man in Philadelphia during a robbery. Um, and then, of course, he got he gets away, and they're looking for him, and he was arrested in Washington, D.C. Now, while he's there in this county jail, let's say, because he's not been convicted, so I would assume he's in county jail, but back then it might have been the prison, um, he bragged to the guards about killing those children, too. Oh, yeah. That nobody knew he did. Right. Yeah. And... The guards, of course, contacted the authorities in that area that he claimed to have committed the crimes, and that's when he was identified as being a serial killer. Damn. Because technically, <laughs> if you take the two children that were proven, and this guy here, that makes three. That's your that's your three that you need for a serial. And you have the same mo each time. That's three. Yeah, that's that's your three. Yep, that is your three. If it's the same mo. Body count is three over a period of time. You're a serial killer. Right. This is before they even knew about the other ones. Right. I was going to say, because you, you got quite the body count even prior to this. To yes. all this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But nothing was ever, you know, found out. I mean, the three, yes, over in Africa, but they didn't know about this then. Well, yeah. Because, you know, the U.S. The, wasn't calling Africa. Yeah, they didn't or have anything. wire transfers or anything, you know, saying right. the telegraph, do, 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 do. Right. You know? It was six over in Africa, though, with the men. Yeah, that's hired. what I said. Did I say three? You said three. Okay, I meant six. Yeah. I, I'm so, sorry. yeah, I, it, the, it's not like we had Interpol or anything like that back then. Yeah. Where they sit there and they're going to, you know, they can pull it up and go, oh, hey, this motherfucker's wanted. Yeah, they didn't have internet. Yeah, there, there was nothing like nothing. that. Yeah. See, and I had wondered at this time, and you disagreed with me, and now that I've now that you've disagreed with me, I kind of believe what you're saying. But I thought it was, why did he choose to confess to these unsolved crimes? Was he trying to impress somebody? Yeah, no. But you <laughs> brought up. That uh, he wanted to die. He's done. Yeah. He's done. I mean, folks, think about it. He, at this point here, is, what was he? He's in his 30s at this point. Yeah, it was 1928, um, and he was born. Here, let me do some quick math on my handy dandy. In calculator here. <laughs> he was born like blue in 1928. He was born in 1892. 36. Okay, so he's 36 years old. In 36 years, and I'll reiterate it again. Well, at, 29, considering he was 7 when he started. Okay, let's yeah. go. In 29 years, mm -hmm. he's been victimized. He's been consistently, constantly raped. Mm -hmm. Treated like crap. He has no real career. Except for burglary and committing crimes. Yeah, except for crimes. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's his entire career. Mm -hmm. And now he's been popped on uh, on a murder. Well, and the last time he was incarcerated prior to this, 
he freaking falls, gets hurt, and nobody does anything for him. Right. I think, you know, he's probably in constant pain because they, yeah. they didn't have the great medications yeah. that we have now. Well, yeah. I think he's just done. Yeah. He's just freaking done. He's like, I've had it. Let's let's end this. Yeah, because I mean, I suffer from chronic back pain, and there's days when I say I'm done. Let this be the last day because I it, it hurts. It uh, really hurts. I've gone to the point to where when I wake up in pain because of my knee, I just wake up and go, "Are you fucking serious <laughs> again? Can I get a break? Oh no, yeah, okay, it's no, just that kind of day. There is not. I mean, and there's sometimes when I can't even get out of bed in the morning, and I'm just like, I'm so done with this. Right. I just he, he's just done. Yeah, he needs some release. And, all. and being from the kind of Bible Beltish area, area yeah. you're not going to be able to commit suicide. You know, even though he says he doesn't believe in God or anything like that, it's still ingrained. I can't kill myself. What better way to die? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's at this point that a young guard by the name of Henry Lesser takes pity on him. And we like Henry a lot. We do. I mean, now... Takes pity on him to the point that, you know, because he's seen his suffering. He sees, because Carl, understandably, was physically handicapped from this fall. Well, yeah, and then the subsequent surgery that followed 14 months later. Yeah, we cannot stress 14 months enough. Yeah, he's he's pretty messed up. Imagine if you, like, I don't know. I mean, even I broke a toe when I was a kid, and it took forever to heal and i couldn't imagine like breaking my ankle like i did and not having any relief for 14 months right uh yeah honestly um, i'll admit it man if i break a bone now i want extreme medication for pain yeah and for, and, until it's just gonna quit hurting by itself yeah because they sent me home from the emergency room after i broke my ankle said you need to see an orthopedic surgeon about this but it's not an emergency, so make an appointment. And I'm like going, I can't walk. So my my son, who was only 17, 18 at the time, had to carry me in the house. Oh, my God. I, we, we can share stories about that. Um, and I'll, I'll interject this one here just on a pain level, and I'll make it quick. Um, my son, Jake, was like five years old or maybe six. He was uh, in, in early school. And uh, I had fallen, and my back straddled a concrete barrier. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, tore the nerves away from my spine. And I was laid up for a good six months. I couldn't even put my socks on. And Jake would help me put socks on and patiently wait for me to be able to even get out of bed. And oftentimes, he'd, like, bring the cereal and the milk to me and oh, yeah. things like that. Because exactly. I really, I could barely even get on and off the toilet. It was seriously, it was like it was like watching yeah. a gymnast, not a gymnast, but like a, an, a weird contortionist thing going on oh, through yeah. the whole process. You I know, can't imagine being in Carl's position. Oh, no. So the fact that Henry took such pity on him and everything, even despite him being a child killer, because we all know... From everything we have read and seen on TV, child killers, rapists, and molesters have very little empathy when it comes to situations like this, when they're in jail. Right, and plus... They are, like, lower than pawn scum. Right, and they're, they're the most popular person. And no, not at think all. Most of the guards already know this, so while the inmates are treating you like trash, the they're guards treating are... treating you like tra- trash, too. Yeah. Well, so much so that a lot of the states actually have separate segregated units specifically for them so that they are not harmed in any way. 
which I'm kind of against. I say throw them in with general mm-hmm. population and, uh, you know, throw let them, them to out. the wolves. Yeah. Let yeah. Me too. Let nature take its course. Yeah. That's just me. Yeah. So anyways, even though, because um, Lester actually sent him $1 bill to purchase cigarettes and extra food, which a dollar right. bill went a long ways back then. And Carl, even though he was leery, he was visibly moved by this act, you know, act, this act of compassion that they became friends. Right. And understandably, he was leery because back then, you know, given Carl's life, if somebody's giving you something, they want something in return. They do. So what does Henry want? Yeah. That's what he's thinking. Yeah. I, I believe that totally. So what happened was that after they became friends and Carl started relaying the events that had happened to him in his life, not just his crimes and everything, but the atrocities that happened to him. You know, Henry said, write this down. You need to write this down. And so Carl said, I will write it down for you if you provide me with the writing materials because those are considered contraband here. So Henry smuggles him the the writing materials, the pencil, the little tiny pencil, and the paper and everything. And had to smuggle out the pages, what, like five, if that, at a time? Five was the max. I think it was yeah. two between two and... Uh, I think it was between two and five. Yeah, somewhere right around yeah. there. So, um, I think it is just very vital here that this one act of compassion... Because he'd only admitted to two other murders ap- after this Pennsylvania one. I believe it was this final act of compassion that led him to confess all, everything... The atrocities, all the crimes he committed, everything. Well, right. Well, what does he have to lose at this point? That's true, too. They've already got you on a cereal. Right. You know, you you know that you're going to die. That's that's going to be the end result. That well, is, that's your best case scenario. Well, unfortunately, he was only sentenced to life at that time. Remember? Oh, that's right. Yeah. My bad. No, that's okay. Because it's it needs to be said here that he was only sentenced to life. So he didn't even get the honor, the dignity of dying. <laughs> I mean, me not so much honor. I live my life getting the crap kicked out of me every day. Yeah, that's just for wonderful. For the rest of my life. So um, he began to give detailed accounts of the crimes that he committed. And he shared his nihilistic viewpoint, which, you know, I had to look this word up. So don't even feel bad if you don't know it. But basically, it's he talked about the re- it's the rejection of religious and moral principles and how he considered his life meaningless. Right. So that is very, very important to note that he didn't think he was worth anything. So he didn't think other lives mattered. Right. Exactly. So that's I mean, that is what I noted there. And so he shared how his experience at this training school and the rape against him by the hobos shaped these views. Which is understandable. Yeah, he was very candid in this. So at least he knows his own catalyst. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's not sitting there, it's a mystery at why I feel this way. Yeah, I I know why I feel this way. Yeah, I think he sat in that solitary confinement. It's like, what got me here? Yeah, that's probably it. And and he had that aha moment like, hey. I know what got me here because honestly, I don't give two shits. And because every time I turn around, I get raped, I get beat up, I get kicked around, I get victimized. Yeah, I get victimized at every friggin' turn. Every turn. So, not only did that, he, you know, he also voiced his criticism of the justice system and gave vivid details on the methods of torture he suffered from all 
people in authority. Every prison official, every reform school official, everything. And he was only, at the time he was found guilty of these three murders, and he was sentenced to only 25 years. Jimmy Christmas. He's 36 years old. He's sentenced to 25 years. He'll get out when he's, what, 50, 61. 61, yeah. Well, yeah. fair enough, yeah. So basically, he's still got a lot of life to live. But what's he going to do when he gets out? I mean, think about that. You're 61 years old. Your whole younger life, you were a criminal. You're going to be a criminal again. Right. So, um, yeah. So he ends up being having to serve his time where? Oh, do tell, because I forgot where. Oh, yeah. Leavenworth. Forgot about that. Back in Leavenworth. Back Leavenworth. And then he tells the, the, he tells, and I quote, he tells the warden, and I quote this, I will kill the first man that bothers me. You know, I can relate because <laughs> yeah. there's mornings I feel the same way. I got to be honest. Yeah. So in 1929, he did just that. He was considered too dangerous for general population, so they assigned him a job in the prison laundry, where on the twentieth of no- June twentieth of nineteen twenty nine, he savagely bludgeoned Robert Warnicky, who was just a laundry supervisor, not even a authority, you know, prison official, with a heavy iron bar in front of fellow inmates, and then proceeded to turn around and attempt to attack them. You ever think that the dude may have been talking shit? I wonder, but I also think, hey, maybe he's the first guy who, like, gave him, like, a side look, you know, and I didn't get, you didn't give me the death penalty I'm like just thinking, I wanted. Because he, he said, the first man who bothers me, I wouldn't think a side look would do it with him, but I think maybe if the dude was talking some shit. Oh, maybe. You maybe. Know, if he, he, and it could, and when I, when I say that, maybe it's not even abusive. Maybe it's like, hey, Carl, you need to pick up that laundry over there. Or you need to fold that towel better. Right. And yeah. it, that, that, that was it. He snaps it. Okay. This is the first dude. You're done. Yeah. So in April of 19, April 14th of 1930, he was found guilty and sentenced to death by hanging. And from April to September of that year, all that time after he was sentenced to death, um, there were many groups advocating for the abolition, ab- abolishment of the death penalty, and he refused help from any of them. Right. That's what led me to I my conclusion before. Want you, I don't want you to help me. Don't even freaking speak on my behalf. Don't use me as, your, as a means to your ends. Right. You know, I believe they had compassion for him and wanted to save him specific, you know, just like, you know what, of the atrocities you you suffered, you shouldn't have to die for. I believe he might have asked for help then. But he basically said, don't use me in your game. And he told and he quotes here and this one is the one that I found kind of comical because of the situation. He says, the only things you and your kind will ever get from me for your efforts on my behalf is that I wish you all had one neck and that I had my hands on it. You know, I was thinking about that uh, recently with the phone meeting. <laughs> <laughs> that actually, did you have that same thought? It really did cross my mind. I'm dead serious. I'm thinking, huh, I can relate to what Carl was saying. I can very much relate. Yeah, no, totally. So, um, in night, he was in September 5th of 1930, he was brought to the prison gallows and 
as he's up there, they're wrapping the rope around his neck. He said, the executor says, do you have any last words? I Actually, guys, I love this quote. Dude, it, this is it, one of my favorites. This is, I think this is him interjecting humor in a very grim moment. But he says, hurry it up, you Hoosier bastard. I killed, I could kill 10 men while you're fooling around. I love that. Yeah. Hurry up and kill me, damn you. Yeah, it's like, hey, let's make with the chop yeah. chop here. Quit wasting my damn time. Yeah. There's some killing to do. So he was pronounced dead at 6.18 a.m. at the age of 39. Didn't even make it to the big 4.0. Didn't make it to 4.0. So this is the thing. When you look at his profile, he raped his victims, all male, by the way. That needs to be said. Except for the one. Except for the one. Yes, you're right. As a means of torture, as opposed to homosexual behavior. Right. Uh, it, like we've talked about for our shows for Fetish Friday. Yes. The Those are sexually motivated. Very sexually motivated. And this one was, was not. not. It, ha- it has to do with dominance. Yeah. He, he was also labeled as an in- individual incapable of remorse and most likely a psychopath. I disagree. And when you explain that part to me, I kind of agree with your thing. Go for yeah. it. Okay, I disagreed because I actually I actually went and looked up the definition of a psychopath because I was confused on it. I was really confused because a lot of people interchange psychopath and sociopath. It's like almost an interchangeable psychopathy, but it's not. Um, I found this information on a – it's a website – it, and it's a trusted mental health information site. So, I mean, they've been vetted. And it's called verywellmind.com. And in there, their description of a psychopath is a psychopath will pretend to care, display cold-hearted behavior, fail to recognize other people's distress, have relationships that are shallow but fake, shallow and fake, maintain a normal life as a cover for criminal activity, fail to form genuine emotional attachments, and may love people in their own way. I love people in my own way. But you're... (laughs) Never mind, I can't even qualify that statement. Um, You are welcome. (laughs) However, characteristics of a sociopath. Um, Number one, they make it clear they do not care how others feel. He demonstrated and expressed this on all his verbal and written confessions abundantly. It was made very clear. I don't give a shit. Right, right, right. You know, and, and why like should you he? like to say, I don't give two shits. Right. And why should he? Honestly. Yeah. With everything that's happened to him, would you yeah. actually give a fuck about anybody? No. I no. would have no fucks to give. Yeah. No, there, there'd be no None. way. Yeah. He also, on many occasions, behaved in a hot-headed and impulsive way. Yeah, makes Very. sense. Yeah, definitely. You know, he was prone. I mean, they also say number three is prone to fits of anger and rage. Both of these are evident in his actions that surrounded his criminal life. I mean, mm-hmm. very evident. Um, the next one is they recognize, they can recognize what they are doing and rationalize their behavior. This was clear in his manuscripts that even he knew his acts were wrong, but he chose to do them as an act of rebellion against society and the justice system. Right, it wasn't like a voice was talking to him or yeah. anything like that. It's, no. Th- he, this was no different than going to work every day. Yeah, he used the quote-unquote, you made me do it excuse to justify all of his actions. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, it was wrong, but you made me do it. 
Right. Society you created know. me. Yeah. The next aspect is they cannot maintain a regular work and family life. That's a given. This <laughs> is obvious. There's no documentation he ever held down a steady job. He continued to move from place to place, never planting his roots in any location or any area or location as a sheer number of locations. He, I mean, and this is demonstrating the sheer number of locations he committed his crimes. Well, during yeah. the, I mean, because he only had approximately 20 years, of criminal, 20 years of criminal behavior. Right, and he's all over the map. All over the damn map. Number two is they can form emotional attachments, but it's difficult. And this was evident in the one documented case of his friendship with Henry Lesser. But it also needs to be known that it was somewhat demonstrated in a relationship he had with a warden in Oregon. Right. And he, I think his name was Colonel something or other. It was yeah. Some kind of a military name. Yeah, he had a military name. And there, I couldn't find his name in our research, but they did mention it in the documentary. I think. Right, they did, and I can't. Yeah, quite I can't. Remember what the I couldn't name find was. it anywhere to document his name. But this is a guy who believed that rehabilitation was possible. Right, and he was going about it, trying to do it the right way, yeah. doing acts of kindness and giving trust. Right, and giving and trust. He, uh, you know, at that time, there, Carl wasn't getting the crap knocked out of him. Right. Anything like that. Uh, the downfall to that was that's when he raped the woman. Yeah, and I don't think he did that out of sexual need or anything like that. I believe that he didn't know how to show love yeah. except for through violence. Well, yeah. Well, so he, he was never shown love. Exactly. So, I mean, that's... Well, and then the only time he was shown any acts of sexual, you know, things, it was through rape and, you know, rape and torture. Right. So, and it, but it must be noted, he didn't torture this woman and he didn't kill this woman. He just raped her. You know, and I know that right. sounds harsh. I was going to say, people are going to say, that sounds terrible. That sounds harsh, but it needs to be noted that he, you know, showed some restraint. Right, exactly. Yeah. Because his, his MO up until this point here, at least with all the dudes, was rape him, kill him. Yeah. I mean, I it, mean it needs to be noted also that that, that thing that happened, that incident that happened with the woman in Oregon happened before he started raping and killing. It was while he was just burglarizing and everything, because that was before he he stole that oh, 45. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so he hadn't gotten to the point where he was sodomizing or anything like that yet, but he didn't, that wasn't one of the catalysts that, like, threw him into that kind of behavior either. Right. You know, so it's not like he raped this woman and said, you know what, I kind of like that, let me kill somebody next. Kind of shit, huh? Yeah. So, um, where, oh. Let's see. Um, oh, sorry. I lost my place for a second here. Now, it also goes on to say that despite him having received little to no formal education of any sort, his writings in the manuscript show him to be extremely, extremely intelligent. You know, Um and even though he so sodomized the majority of his victims, unlike the other known serial killers who have used sex in their crimes, like Bundy, Gacy, Dahmer, Fish, all of them, none of these his crimes were the sex was not the motivation behind the murders. Right, the sex was secondary. Right. Um, so this is what he. This is the final quote from him. And after this, I mean, this is. I think this needs to wrap up the whole show. Because he says, in my lifetime, I have murdered 21 human beings. I have committed thousands of burglaries, robberies, 
larcenies, arsons, and last but not least, I have committed sodomy on more than 1,000 male human beings. For all of those things, I am not the least bit sorry. I have no conscience, so that does not worry me because I do not believe in man, God, or the devil. I hate the whole damn human race, including myself. It says a whole lot. Yeah, do and you that's, have, yeah I was going to ask you if you had any final thoughts on no, it. No, but or, that, that quote is what led me to believe that in my head, we were discussing that when it came to that point where he starts admitting things, it's because he's done. Yeah, he, he hates take, himself. Yeah. He hates everybody. His whole world has been literally crap. Crap from the age of seven. Right, straight through. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to. There's nothing to lose. There's nothing to gain. You yeah, know, so except for figure, more abuse. Figure his life went to crap at the age of seven. He was thirty nine when he was executed. Twenty two. No, thirty two years. Excuse me. Is it thirty two years? Yeah. Thirty two years. He knew nothing but being victimized or. Making somebody else the victim. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. That was his whole. That, that that's the only life. thing he knew. Yeah. You know, and you can only do what you know. You can. You know, violence always begets violence. Yes, it's a cycle of abuse. Yeah. Cycle the, of abuse. Correct. It is. Yeah. We learned about that in school. Yeah. The cycle of abuse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I learned about that in therapy. You know. My oh yeah, therapy is really good for that yeah. too. Yeah. But. Yeah, it's crazy. But, I mean, that's all I can say about him. And, you know, you and I have said it before that probably in all of the ones we will be doing and everything and the ones that we've already researched and stuff, he is the one I really have empathy for. He's about the only one that I yeah, have empathy that for. That I've found so far, yes. Right. And I've, you know, I've, I've researched other ones where their childhood wasn't the best, but... Honestly, <laughs> Carl's the only one that has really sort of touched my heart a little bit. Yeah, kind of. It's like, dude, I don't condone what you've done because what you've done is horrible. Okay, but what he did was extremely, extremely horrible. It was horrific on every level. But right. like I said at the beginning, if you don't have an ounce of empathy for him after hearing this, then there's something wrong with you. Right. Like you have that belief that it doesn't matter what happened to you, you should know better. Right, exactly. And if you know, if you do have a different viewpoint, that's absolutely fine. Oh yeah. You that's can matter of fact send us an email about it. And at, let us know why you have a different viewpoint. Right. Let's talk about it. I mean, we'll discuss it right yeah. here on air. I am open to communication and you know, yeah. And the email address will be given out at the end of this show. Yeah. So yeah, do you have anything else to give? That's it for Carl, man. It was, okay. It was a good research. It, it was very good research. I actually really, as opposed to the one that we were talking about earlier. Oh, yeah. I thoroughly. And some of the other ones that we're. Yes. Yes, that we're looking into. I actually thoroughly enjoyed this one. I did, too. I did, too. I think my eyes were opened as, a far, as far as the different classifications of serial killers. And I'll classify them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, it's like people say you can't classify them. Yeah, you can. <laughs> you can. <laughs> you can. And, yeah, so. Yeah, this one was an eye-opener for me. Totally. Right. But. And you've been in trouble. I've been in trouble. And I got to say that I am very glad that there's been a reformation. Yeah, I believe that his manuscript helped to reform the justice system. Yeah. I don't think it was the entire 
reason for the reformation but i believe i i would like to think that it's what got the ball rolling right right now granted you know i haven't spent like years and years or anything like that in, in prisons um you know like carl did but i've spent days yes and i can't imagine going through even days of even even putting up with a thousand i was gonna say even in your overnight you know drunk <laughs> tank people you know yeah. They probably would have been victimized as well. And could you imagine being there because you had a little too much to drink and, you know, you're getting raped? Yeah, you're getting raped. You're getting brutalized. You're getting beat up. You're getting the yeah. shit knocked out of you. All because maybe you you drank a little too much booze. Yeah, all because you had a little too much wine. Yeah. Man, I yeah. do love my wine. Yeah. <laughs> wine ain't afraid of nothing. Except for running out of wine. <laughs> exactly. You know it. <laughs> but yeah, so that, I mean, that's all I have. And I mean, like I said, I am very open to your comments and thoughts on the show. Um, you can contact us if you go to our, the Twisted Blue website at www.twistedbluellc.com. Click on the Brutal Nation page and there will be a way to contact us there. You can contact us on each individual. You can, you know, give us information on each individual podcast, or you can just leave a general comment. Or you can email us at brutalnation.cast at gmail.com, and we'll be glad to even read your email over the air and talk about this. Yeah, good deal. This here has been Brutal Nation. This has been a Twisted Blue LLC production. Thank you guys for listening, and uh, look forward to hearing from your comments. Thank you. Bye.